0: Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and Connie and I are celebrating our cotton anniversary <laughs> for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Happy two years, honey.
1: <laughs> we thought that we would do something like a little different for our anniversary episode. Last year, we covered did a two-parter on Israel Keys. But this time, we're going to give you like a spooky, haunted Halloween episode. And this is a bonus episode. Ad-free, coming to you guys. We're dropping this on Halloween, like our actual like two-year anniversary. And then Meg is still going to come to you this week with a case. So you guys are welcome. But I have to get a little mushy for a second, not just to the listeners, but to Meg as well. Because thank you guys for showing up every week, for listening with us. For crying with us, laughing with us, having our backs when people are creepy. Or rude or mean. Or putting us in our place when we need it. Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we speak, we are ill prepared with our words and it comes out <laughs> wrong. <laughs> we speak too freely. And I know it really does sound cliche, but you guys have changed our lives in a hundred percent.
0: You have like, changed our lives. We've changed the way this podcast has changed the way that I think about everything in my life mm-hmm. and, in like people around me too. It's just, mm-hmm. thank you so much.
1: And I still can't believe I get to do this with my best friend, Meg. Ah! And we literally like when we started this, we've said this so many times, but we started this not thinking that it was going to be anything, but here we are a hundred episodes later, Two years, two full years, and 2023 is going to be our best year yet. We have so many cool things for you, Maggie. You want to tell them the big one? We're gonna do. We're gonna do a live show, ah. but it's gonna be a virtual live show. <laughs> we just we're not. So, yeah, we have so many listeners from all different areas, and we thought the virtual live show and like we're working with an awesome company like this is in the works this isn't not like a like oh we're gonna do a live show like this is in the works like we're working with a company we're gonna get it produced it's gonna be be a big thing it's gonna be fancy we're ready fancy and that's coming early 2023 like as early in 2023 as you can get if you want to read between the lines but yeah we'll have new merch coming um I think Meg is going to repost some of our old merch is our anniversary. Was that the plan sometime this month? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, we'll do like our old <laughs> merch. i sorry. I remember we had talked about it before.
0: I forgot. That's fine. You got to remind me of that stuff.
1: <laughs> but seriously, thank you guys. Without further blabbing, we are going to each tell you about a few of the most haunted places we know about. And this is how you guys know I love you because this is not my thing because it gives her the willies yeah i already like drank a red bull at nine o'clock so i could stay up a little bit later (laughs) (laughs) whatever you drink caffeine and you're like Nah, i'm done good night Mm. true adhd props um i'm gonna start out we're gonna do a little back and forth for you which i also i love covering cases with you It's one of my favorites. That's why I love our Patreon so much. (laughs) Plug. Get to be a little loosey-goosey with it. Starting our list is the Hoya Basu Forest in Transylvania. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I watched a million videos and each video said it wrong. Or said it different. This forest is a gateway of the paranormal and largely believed to be one of the most, one of the most, if not like the most Haunted places on the planet. The forest gained notoriety in the 1960s when a photo was taken by Alexandru Sift of a UFO hovering over the forest. People believe that entering the forest can transport you into another dimension or possibly you enter it and you're abducted. There are reports that a shepherd and his 200 sheep entered the forest and never returned there allegedly was a five-year-old girl who entered the forest, disappeared, and then returned five years later wearing the same clothes and looking like she hadn't aged a day. What? Mm-hmm. That gave was me a, goosebumps. There was a woman who emerged from the forest with a 15th century coin, meaning like she was significantly like older than the people around her. People think this is where aliens are abducting people from. And honestly, like, I need to go are, into it. I want to no. know. <laughs>
0: no,
1: <laughs> take me. <It> was, <laughs> I had to. I put off writing this episode so much because I was getting like the heaps. Because people also think that this forest is where the devil official, like the devil in the flesh, lives. People have went into the forest and came out with like severe burns all over their body, rashes, headaches, high fever. The trees are, like, really twisted and contorted to where, like, not, it's not like a normal tree. And it, they're all, like, really relatively young trees. Like, they're not getting any, they're not aging. The forest is over 200 years old, but the trees are not, they don't match that. There is an area of the forest where the trees meet in, like, a perfect circle to form a clearing of sorts. Most of the paranormal activity seems to be focused in that area or dare I say, extraterrestrial activity. Soil samples were taken from the area to see if there was any, like, environmental reason why these things were happening and, like, the lack of vegetation and growth. And, like, there was no scientific reasoning behind it. So it like, a ticket to literal hell. Is that, like, how you get there? I just picture, like
0: a guy in a suit like sitting on a stump in the middle with like a fiddle yeah (laughs) it's just like that's the devil that's what i the personification
1: (laughs) just like that i like these because we can be a little bit more silly with them but it's still like it's terrifying i watched you i get like i don't like to hike anyways (laughs) And, like, thinking that there's, like, forests where you can be trans... Like, just abducted. It's like you walk in and there's, like, the movie theater, like, red rope lines. And it's like, oh, here you go. Boop. Out of here for five years. And then you, like, come
0: back. And that, I'm like, that, that did give me chills, like, thinking about a little girl. And, like, being that parent whose daughter disappeared and then just came back five years later the same age, I... I would no longer be sane, you know?
1: It's like that uh, that Manifest show that they have.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix? Yeah. I don't know. I, I watched maybe the trailer, but I didn't actually
1: I watch it. I watched the first season, and then it was getting a little weird, and I was like, I don't know what I'm watching. I think I missed something, so I quit. That's how I live my life. It's like, eh, it's too much. I have too much thought that needs to go into this. What do you got for me next, Meg? Um,
0: in the true fashion of us not talking about our episodes before we, like we record, I did mine significantly differently than you. Um, I have, I, the love Villis- that. I have the Villisca axe murders in Villisca, Iowa, and I'm going to tell you about the murder and then we're going to tell you about the hauntings, um, at 7 a.m. On June 10, 1912, in Villisca, Iowa, Mary Peckham became concerned after she noticed that the Moores family that lived next door had not come out to do their morning chores. Mary knocked on her neighbor's front door and nobody answered. She tried to open it, but it was locked. Being neighborly, she let out the family's chickens and she called Ross Moore, the brother of the patriarch of that family, Josiah Moore. Ross received no response when he knocked, he peered around the house, and eventually he chose to unlock the door with a copy of a house key that he had. Mary Peckham stood on the porch while Ross went into the parlor and then opened the guest bedroom door, and it was here that he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. Moore immediately told Mary to call Hank Horton, who was Veliska's primary police officer. Hank arrived and his search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon was found to be an axe that had belonged to Josiah, and Oof. it laid in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. And the Moore family was two parents 43 year old Josiah, 39 year old Sarah, and their four children. 11-year-old Herman, 10-year-old Mary, 7-year-old Arthur, and the youngest was 5-year-old Paul. They were well-known and well-liked in their community. On June 9th, 1912, Mary, the daughter, had invited 8-year-old Ina and 12-year-old Lena Stillinger over for a slumber party oh,
1: that evening
0: that. They had all they went to church together and they participated in a Children's Day program that Sarah had coordinated. And then after the event ended at 9 thirty, they all walked back to the Moore's house. So they got there between like 945 and ten. Investigations concluded that the murder took place sometime between midnight and five am. Uh, There's a rumor that they found cigarettes in the attic, suggesting that whoever was responsible had been waiting for the home or waiting in the home for the family to return. However, the official tour site said that there were no cigarettes found. But that doesn't mean that the murderers weren't inside the home waiting for them. Whoever was responsible began in the master bedroom where Josiah and Sarah were sleeping, Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. He was hit with so much force that his eyes were missing. Jesus, and, and he swat the whoever had been swinging the axe swung it so hard that there was a gouge in the ceiling from where he had hit it into the ceiling. This is obviously a pretty tall person. and obviously someone full of rage. Hmm. Yeah, and he, like I said, he was the only one to get the sharp side of the axe. The other seven people in the home were murdered using the blunt end. Oof. Um, the children were the next to be bludgeoned. Afterward, the murderer returned to the master bedroom to further massacre Josiah and Sarah, so went back to them after they had already murdered them. And they know this because the killer knocked over a shoe that had been filled with blood. Ina and Lena were the final two deaths in the guest bedroom downstairs. Lena was the only victim who seemed to be awake during her death because she had a defensive wound across her arm and she had fallen across the bed. Uh, Her nightgown had been pushed up and it led police to believe that she had been sexually assaulted after her murder. I would have left that out, but it actually is important in a minute. After the murders, a four-pound slab of bacon was taken from the icebox and just left out. Wasn't eaten. Just chilling there. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had like planned to take it and they were got spooked it right off. As you can imagine, an extensive investigation began and several suspects emerged. I'm going to go through them, but this case does remain unsolved. Um, but one of the suspects is going to link to our October bonus episode, so it's a nice little full circle moment there. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah, that's how I've ne- that's how I learned about this case, like bef- prior, because uh, I had already like heard about the guy we were talking about You're about to talk about, and I just didn't know he was linked to our October case until I started looking at the. October
0: I know, case. isn't that interesting? And then um, I talk about it in a minute, but. Clementine Barnabet is linked in this case too. Mm-hmm. That's just speaking. lots of full circle, gruesome podcast moments up in this guy. Um, in 1912, every single transient person in the neighborhood was a suspect. Andrew Sawyer was a visitor. He was interrogated but let go. It was also reported that Sam Moyer, who was Sarah's brother, uh often threatened to kill josiah but he had a rock solid alibi so maybe he was just being a supportive
1: brother occasionally yeah i could see like that would make sense except for the whole family was massacred and two people who weren't in the family
0: yeah right and if it was him like those are your nieces and nephews yeah exactly i don't know i'm i'm out on that one Um, Frank Fernando Jones was an Iowa state senator who also happened to be a Villisca resident. Josiah had worked for Frank Jones at his store for many years before he left to open his own store and more reportedly took a lot of business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. But there was also a rumor that Josiah was having an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law just hearsay no evidence that that was true just reporting the tea there is a theory that <laughs> senator jones hired william mansfield to mo- murder the moore family so i think it's probably true that there was some bad blood there mm-hmm. because we hear about this across several different suspects that like oh yeah well you should talk to senator jones nine months before the murders at Ballisca, uh A similar axe murder happened in Colorado Springs, in Colorado, followed by two more axe murders in Ellsworth, Kansas and Paola, Kansas. And the crimes were similar enough that it was a possibility that all of these things had been created by one guy. Other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes included the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912. The unsolved Axeman of New Orleans killings. And you'll remember we talked that was the one we talked about during Clementine uh-huh. Barnabet. Like that that could have been her or it could have been someone else, and then she got the blame. That's a deep cut. Mm-hmm. The Colorado Springs murders really resembled those Velisca axe killings. H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were all found dead. They were murdered with an axe. Bed sheets had been hung over the windows to prevent anyone from looking in. At the Moore house, the murderer had hung aprons and skirt- skirts over the windows. Another striking similarity was that the murderer had wiped the blood off of the axe and covered. The heads of the victims with clothes which is another thing that happened in the we talked about that in the clementine barnabag case mm-hmm. so william mansfield he was also the prime suspect in the burns detective agency out of kansas city uh detective wilkerson thought that he was responsible for the axe murders of his own wife child and father and mother-in-law in blue island Jesus. illinois yeah, on July fifth, nineteen fourteen. So two years after those murders. Uh the axe murders in Paola, Kansas were four days before Velisca. And then the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois were also around then. There's just so many axe murders, axe murders. <laughs> in like the South to the Midwest in that span of like ten years. It's too much too much according to Wilkerson's investigation all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner indicating that the same man committed them Wilkerson thought he could prove mansfield was in each state uh, and in each murder they were hacked to death the mirrors in the home were also covered a burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed the murderer had washed his hands in every kitchen the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves. He thought like, this is all super strong evidence. I'm going to get you Mansfield. Yeah. And Mansfield's fingerprints were on file at the federal military prison in Leavenworth. So he was like, this is why you're wearing gloves. This is why you're washing your hands and wiping everything down because we have your fingerprints. And he convinced a grand jury to open an investigation And Mansfield was arrested, but he had payroll records that provided an alibi for him. So it placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Velisca murders. There was a lack of evidence. And then he won a lawsuit against Wilkerson, and they had to pay him $2,000 in 1914 money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Wilkerson thought that Senator Jane Jones probably... Helped Mansfield's release and shifted the blame to the next suspect. Uh, but there was a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa, that identified Mansfield as the guy he saw the morning after the Velisca murders. He was like, That was him. I'm 100% sure. Mm-hmm. The final suspect was Reverend George Kelly. Kelly was a traveling minister in town on the night of the murders working at the children's day festival he was described as peculiar he had suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent who among us didn't suffer a mental breakdown as an adolescent but as an adult he was accused of voyeurism and he had also asked several young women and girls to pose nude for him so still a creep On June 8th, 1912, he came to teach at those Children's Day services, which the Moore family attended. He left town between 5 a.m. and 5.50 a.m. on June 10th, right after and right before the bodies were discovered. And Kelly seemed fascinated with the case, like he wanted to be a part of it. He wrote letters to the police and investigators to family of the deceased made him look pretty suspicious Mm -hmm. a private investigator actually wrote back to him and asked uh asked the good minister if he might know anything about the murders and kelly replied with great detail he talked about the sounds he had heard and that he himself had witnessed the murders but his known mental illness made them question like Did he is he imagining this because he wants to be a part of it? Or did he really commit these murders? Yeah, he was arrested two years later for sending obscene material through the mail. He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. And he was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital for the Mentally Ill. Um, And remember that it's a national mental hospital in Washington, D.C. Because I'm going to talk about that one in a minute, too. In 1917, he was arrested for the Velisca murders and police got a confession from him. Except after several hours, he recanted. And after two trials, he was acquitted. Jeez. And then the one we, Connie and I, were talking about in the two, 2017 book, The Band from the Train, Bill James and his daughter, Rachel. Uh, they discuss these murders as a part of a much larger series of murders that they believe were all committed right. by a single singer. Oh my goodness, a single serial killer. Uh, in the book, they think that the murderer was Paul Mueller, an immigrant, possibly from Germany, who was the subject of an unsuccessful year long manhunt. And he was the sole suspect in the 1897 murder of a family in Westbrookfield, Massachusetts. They had employed him as a farmhand. Mm-hmm. The author's research started in an attempt to solve the Velisca Axe murders. Um, but his daughter found all these archived newspaper stories talking about these dozens of families who were murdered in the exact same circumstances. And they it was like 59 people in 14 yeah. separate incidents. I'm kind of with them, you know? Like at a yeah, certain I point, agree. you're like, uh, yeah, that is definitely the same person doing this. I agree. Um, and in Mueller's suspected crimes, there was often, not always, a sexual motive directed towards a young girl like Lena. So to get to the haunted part, <laughs> obviously, we're a house of. You know, six plus two were murdered. Mm-hmm. Probably a good subject for rumors of a haunting. After the murders, the house went through the possession of eight different people. But the most recent acquisition was in 1994 by Darwin Lynn. He and his wife, Martha, restored the house to its original condition at the time of the murders. They took out the electricity. They took out the plumbing. They set it up like they still lived there in what? 90 because they pitch it as, you know, dark tourism, haunted oh, tourism. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that's You a big can market. stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the National Register of Historic Places. It won an award for like best preservation in 97. It has been pretty much on every ghost hunting show and in 2014 37-year-old Robert Larson of Wisconsin arrived with a group of friends for a little fun paranormal investigation slash getaway Montgomery County Sheriff Joe Sampson was quoted as saying from my understanding he was alone in the northwest bedroom and the rest of the party was outside he called for help on their two-way radios and his companions found him stabbed in the chest which was apparently self-inflicted. They called 911. Larson was brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered to Creighton University Medical Center. The incident happened around 1245, which is allegedly the approximate time of the 1912 murders. So do we think this guy... Did he did die? That, um, no, I don't... know. he didn't die. The owners were really upset. He didn't die, he... Did make a recovery, um, but they were like, "We want people to come and see the history of the house and have a good experience." And you know, if they if it's haunted and they get an experience like that, that's cool too. We don't want people stabbing themselves in the
1: chest inside. What if it like? What if it wasn't just like a ha? I'm gonna do this because I don't. Why? Maybe like, why
0: maybe would you?
1: Yeah, like why? That seems like a. I don't know if it was. I hope he got the help he needed. Why would he need to stab himself in the chest if he wasn't trying to do it? Like if he was trying to do it, it's like, I don't know. It seems, um, it seems like it's haunted and I would never fucking go there.
0: (laughs) It seems like it's haunted. We don't want anyone whispering that to us. Um, the owner, Martha says that she's got notebooks just full of people, who have experiences that include like playing with ghost children, hearing voices, photographic evidence. Um, You can tour or stay overnight in the home. It'll cost you $428 for one to six people. If you want to have your own little haunted slumber party. It's a 400 nope dollars to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's sorry, Martha. You're not getting getting my paper here. I was reading on Reddit and like, because there's a lot of paranormal investigation and there's been a lot of people that have stayed there and people were talking about how they rolled a ball across the floor and it stopped in the middle and came back to them. I read about one guy who ran screaming out of the house after he had set up all of his like, you know, is it EVP? Mm -hmm. EVP. Yeah, all of his EVP equipment and it had EMP? been dead all night. Is it EMP or EVP? That's why I was I going back and forth with in my head. <laughs> he had set it all up, and it had been quiet all night, and then he went in to steal, like, a deck of cards, and it just, like, started going crazy, and he, like, freaked out and ran out of the house.
1: EMF. So. Wait, EVP. You're right. EVP. E-V-P. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. EMF <laughs> is, like, a... A tear like a bomb. It's like a, like a bomb <laughs> attack. You know, like the electromagnetic attacks.
0: <laughs> uh, we are obviously not paranormal investigators, and we will not be anytime soon. Clearly. There used to be this like little spooky bridge that was right down from my house, and I was like, I'm gonna go
1: tag that. I remember that bridge.
0: Yeah, it was spooky, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like one night, it was like 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm walking down there, and I got about 20 feet in front of it, and I was like, Nope, this is as far as I go back home. That was about as You're wild as, as past. yeah, that was as wild as I ever got as far as hauntings go. I think ghost stuff is cool, I just don't want to be in it. I want to read about other people doing it.
1: <laughs> I, don't need, I don't want to be in it at all. I don't want to read about it. I don't want any, <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. Well, next up, we're going to talk about the Whaley House in San Diego, California. It was built in 1857. It was the home of Thomas Whaley and his family. Since, it's, since it had been built, it was a general store first off. It was San Diego's second courthouse. It was the first brick home in all of California. It was the first commercial theater in San Diego. So you're like, okay, what makes it spooky? Because it sounds pretty wholesome. When Thomas and his wife, Anna, moved into the home, they thought it was there happily ever after, as many do. But prior to the home being built, it was the site of one of San Diego's most famous executions. It was the hanging of Yankee Jim Robinson, a famous thief during that time period. The hanging was horrific. Like, Death it didn't came-
0: work, or
1: it didn't... No,
0: he, the scaffolding oof. was
1: not high enough for his six-foot-three frame. No. And he spent a half an hour struggling on the rope. Oh, my
0: gosh. That's, like... That's oof. too gives much. Me, yeah, it gives me chills, just, like, gross chills, thinking about hangings in general, but, like, when they don't work, it's extra... Oof.
1: Thomas knew about this when he bought the land and built the his house right after the family moved in their 18 month old son thomas died of scarlet fever which that's awful a few months later a fire destroyed the new general store that was built inside the home after the general store burned down the family moved to san francisco until 1868 when they moved back When they moved back, this is when the house was used as, like, the courthouse. Because this is... We're going to post pictures like we always say it. We'll, We'll post pictures of each of these places. This is a huge house. So this is when it was used as the courthouse in San Diego. One night, Anna was held at gunpoint to seize court documents from the home. Tragedy continued after that. Two of the Whaley daughters got married inside the house. Violet, she was the younger of the two sisters. She married a man named George... Bortolocky and Bortolocky. Yeah, that's how I'm going to say it. And although she gave it her best effort, like the marriage was rough. It was awful. They ended up getting a divorce. Trigger warning, suicide. She was so bedridden with her depression following her divorce that she decided that she could not live with the shame. It wasn't the fact that she got a divorce because the marriage was horrific. It was the fact that back then, if you got a divorce, it was like shameful for you Not only for you, but she had another sister who they were, um, her fiance called off the engagement because of it. She decided that she could not live with this and she took her own life by shooting herself in the chest on August 18th, 1855. On August 18th, 1885. Over the years, many family members of the Whaleys like their descendants have lived and died in the house Their Thomas died in the house Anna died in the house their children Lillian Thomas Violet and Francis and then of course Yankee Jim had been hanged at that place all of them are known to haunt this place this is by all accounts too many ghosts too many ghosts and they this is like a thing. You can also do a dark tour of this place. It's like a huge tourist attraction in San Diego. Can you stay the night there? I think so. Don't get any ideas. I'm not. Go-
0: no, I would pee my pants. I'm not comfortable with that. Baby Thomas, Again, yeah. if you've stayed there, I want you to tell me about hey, it. But I area. don't Let want to actually do it.
1: Baby Thomas is known to visit visitors of the home. They could hear tiny footsteps, the sounds of him crying, or even laughing, which is, Aww. I think, worse. Like, that's scarier to me to hear a little kid laughing and there's no one there.
0: Yeah, Others report. The ultimate scary noise. There's no children. <laughs> and You just hear like, ha,
1: ha, 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 I'm just like, that's ah, right. I think of no. That I carry. <laughs> there are no happy children here. <laughs> There's reports of a young woman just like lingering on the second floor of the house. Um, after that, people believe it's Violet because, like, after she was divorced, she spent a lot of her time on the second floor, so they think it's still her just like overwhelmed with grief. And you can tell if she's around because I guess the entire it's like you know, on the fifth, what is it, the sixth sense, (laughs) the fifth sense the sixth sense where everything gets like really cold thomas anna and several other spirits have also been felt without the home like dad thomas not baby thomas um many people have seen thomas like fully dressed coat hat all of that standing at the top of the stairs like he's welcoming welcoming you in there are mists that like come through lights turn on and off crystals in the music rooms lamps like swing all the signs that, like, the Whaley family still live there. No one has lived there in the home since 1953. It has been on, just like yours, tons of ghost hunting shows, paranormal investigations. And the, like I said, this is the consensus is, like, this is the most haunted house. Yankee Jim is known to, like, be, like, you could... Like a Poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah, like, like it's- messing
0: stuff up. That's how I picture him, at least.
1: If the- I had a horrific death like that, I would haunt the shit out of that house. Oh,
0: one million percent. I hope mm-hmm. that I'm a ghost so that I can haunt people. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it'll take away some of that stigma for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I won't be as afraid of ghosts when I am a ghost. Uh, I'd still so be I- like, oh my God, what are we doing here? I truly... Um, I truly hope I'm wearing something cool when I die. So I have forever ghost clothes that I'm going to be wearing something like staying You're gonna be wearing my... leggings and a t-shirt and your bun. Yeah. And that's going to be your ghost form. Leggings. It'll be, like,
1: it'll be Lululemons, Maybe the joggers. Cause I'm into those lately too.
0: <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah, that's ghost Connie. Sorry. She yells at you to get your clothes off the floor.
1: Yeah. She's got <laughs> leggings, a flannel and a Patagonia vest. Don't fuck with her. <laughs> she doesn't even hike (laughs) I I walked out of the house and I'm saying this so I don't have nightmares tonight I have to get off topic for just a second I walked out and I was in like jeans a flannel and like I had a Patagonia vest and my husband was like oh you you switched to your fall your fall uh, (laughs) uniform of the day you go from you had
0: to to add the vest of course, it's
1: the best. It's the best. It was like 60. Like it wasn't even best weather, but I was so committed to the vibe.
0: Look, I am anti-vest. I can't. I can't with the vests. I know that people live and die by a, a good puffer vest or a vest in general. Mm-hmm. And I just like the only vest I support is like a denim or a leather vest.
1: It's like, funny because like the TikToks and like the reels and memes of like, you'll never see two best friends with the same aesthetic. When I tell you that is Megan and myself, (laughs) I just, we got, uh, I think my mom
0: got my kid like a puffer vest with like the fur on the collar and it, I was like, oh, it's cute. And I put it on her for like four seconds and I was like, no, no
1: child of mine. (laughs) My daughter was crying that she didn't have a vest yesterday.
0: (laughs) So I I got one. It's never been worn.
1: <laughs> it's pink. She, she would love point. it. Yes, yeah, she would love it. We just love vests. They're the vests <laughs> Sorry, I made a pun. No, you did not You made a rhyme. <laughs> They're the best. Like oh, V-E- you did. <laughs>
0: okay, that counts.
1: I'll take. Okay, it. put me out of my misery. <laughs> Let's do this.
0: The next one. You'll remember. I told you to remember St. Elizabeth's Mental Hospital because I want to link this back to this scary haunted location too, which I looked at pictures of and genuinely felt afraid. Yeah, this place is horrifying. It's so scary. Um, The hospital opened in January 1855 and it became officially known as the Government Hospital for the Insane. It housed more than eight thousand patients at its peak in the 50s uh, but it has been abandoned since 2010 when a new facility was built on site the new facility houses mostly patients who have been found not guilty by reason of insanity or considered incompetent to stand trial so there is still on this plot of land a hospital Uh, the hospital housed two almost presidential assassins Richard Lawrence, who tried to kill Andrew Jackson and John Hinckley Jr. who shot Ronald Reagan, uh, but failed to kill him. And also Charles Guiteau until his execution after he assassinated the 20th president of the United States, James Garfield. All three men were housed in the hospital after their claims of insanity at their trials. St. Elizabeth's is believed to have treated over 125,000 patients though an exact number is not known due to its poor record-keeping, but it's believed that there are thousands of people buried there in unmarked graves. And the new facility has the means to... It's like technology where they can go over it and see if there are bodies underneath it, and they just haven't done it yet. What? Yeah. So there are potentially still bodies in graves. Um St. Elizabeth is also also the birthplace of the lobotomy as we know it in the US. At just 28, Walter Jackson Freeman II became obsessed with the idea that psychological problems could be treated physically. He didn't care who he practiced his macabre treatments on, because in asylum more than night more than 40% of those who went into the asylum did not leave dr friedman performed thousands of autopsies on mentally ill people to look at their brains and see what was different about them and a lot of times the results were inconclusive he just it said that he would literally hang them up by their ears with their brains trying to compare them and After 10 years of performing lobotomies by opening up the skull and going in with instruments, Freeman heard of a doctor in Italy who operated on the brain through the patient's eye socket allowing him access to the brain without drilling through the skull. After experimenting with novel ways of performing these surgeries, Freeman formulated a new procedure called the transorbital lobotomy, also known as the ice pick lobotomy. Performed by inserting a metal pick into the corner of each eye socket, hammering it through the thin bone there with a mallet, and moving it back and forth, which severed the connections to the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes. This method did not require a neurosurgeon. It wasn't even done in an operating room. They didn't use anesthesia. They, ah. use, they just would, like, electrocute them into having a seizure and then do it. Freeman realized that the surgery could be performed in psychiatrics all over the U.S., and he actually toured hospitals and performed these ice pick lobotomies all over the country. But he did most of them at St. Elizabeth's. Patients had to be taught how to eat again, how to use the bathroom. Relapses were common. Some never recovered. 15% died. And a lot of those ended up buried on St. Elizabeth's campus. In 1951, one patient died when Freeman suddenly stopped for a photo op. And then he penetrated too far into the patient's brain. He never wore gloves or masks. He lobotomized 19 minors, including a four year old kid. But there were just there were thousands. Like I would say that this guy was a serial killer. Like regardless I of how agree. he changed the neurology game.
1: Yeah, if he you're was gonna a call murderer. Doctor if you're gonna call like Doctor Death in them. Like if if Chris yeah, you are is too. a murderer, then you are too good, sir. And even if you read the way he talked
0: about the patients in the in this ho- these hospitals, like he viewed them as like animals, it's mm-hmm. awful. And how like they annoyed him with how and they it's, looked.
1: It's hard because I recognize the need for medical advances in all aspects of someone's life. I I recognize that you need those in the world. I know that it's a learning curve. Like you see it with like new drugs that are coming out, you know, like new medications that are going through all these treatments. People die taking those, but this is extreme. Yeah. And this like for the sake of science,
0: if, if any place is going to be haunted, it's where a bunch of people died because there wasn't an ethics board to be mm-hmm. like, Hey, you can't do that. And then they finally made him stop after like 30 years of already doing it. Um, so how,
1: what did it, what happens to this place?
0: So there's, it's close to the public, you can't get in, but there is a whole niche of urban explorers out there treading dilapidated buildings. There's lots of echoes of groaning and screaming. There's footsteps, there's the cold spots we hear a lot about, um, strange noises. There's video footage of spirits speaking to them, orbs, apparitions, just a general, everyone who steps foot in it is like, you can feel it like the air is thick with just Mm -hmm. bad energy yeah there is a a funny thing that i also (laughs) wrote about it you remember the beginning of pineapple express when they're like in the think tank and they're like smoking like a joy and they're they're like examining them and they're laughing i don't know yeah um so saint elizabeth's is where that actually happened Like the Office of Strategic Services partnered with them to do POW interrogations, and they wanted to know um, if they could intoxicate Nazis to reveal information to help win World War II. So they (laughs) developed a method where they would inject trace amounts of THC into cigarettes, Um, and the outside was totally normal cigarettes, and they... (laughs) We're slowly fed out to test subjects over hour long, se- hour long sessions. And the tests found that these THC cigarettes thoughts flow with considerable freedom and in yeah, its conversation do. becomes animated and accelerated. They may experience lapses such as forgetting what they are about to say. Frequently, they become greatly amused or tell funny stories. and i was just like yep they were the government was like yeah we can't adapt marijuana for mass interrogation but that happened there and that that intro to i'm gonna watch pineapple express now because i'm gonna watch it as
1: soon as we're done (laughs) it's one of my faves well last one and i wanted to end with one that is scary as hell and a little too <laughs> local for comfort. So, as if you've been listening, Megan and I have talked about it a million times. We grew up in Hartford City, and this is the location of the Monroe house. It's on Monroe Street uh, back home. I have no is, idea what this is. You have <laughs> it's called it, the Demon House, like that is the name that it is called. The house is located at 218 North Monroe Street. Do people when live you, there now? Uh no. Okay. No. I was like, maybe we don't tell the address that there's people there. No, when I tell you when I go into this, like it's it's you can stay there for money. It's you can do that. It's that type of thing now. Oh, is it? You can yeah. Okay, the home go was on. built in I'm the eighteen the home was built in the eighteen sixties. And the story is that it has been like a bad juju situation since it was first built. Uh, it was built by the Berger family who immigrated to the area from Belgium. Um, the John Berger had dreams of like this long and happy life in America, this new home in Indiana. But as soon as they moved in, he died of tuberculosis a fire destroyed a large part of the property. A number of his relatives died horribly or suffer- suffered other gruesome fates at this place. Um, his widow needed money because like, she didn't have like a, a breadwinner anymore. So she started renting out the space because it's a huge house to other people who were like coming through. Um, one of the people that she rented the house to was the Myers family. Ulysses Myers was a well-respected member of the community, but as soon as he moved into this house, he had, like, a complete 180 about, like, with his personality. He was rageful. He had fits of insanity. He was used to be this, like, loving family guy, and he started abusing his family. It's like what you see in the Amityville horror movies, but this shit is real life. Yikes. I've this never heard. Yes, this. I we I never heard. Of, I started hearing about it like on Facebook, like probably a few years ago. It is terrifying. He this guy changed so much that he just like left town took all of his own money and then left with a mistress. People who have lived there have literally been chased out by sounds, shadowy figures, strange sights. And these are, like, literal, like, scary, like, not good. It's not like, oh, little kid's playing in the hallway. These are, like, demonic entities. It seems like the basement was, like, the source of all this negative energy. Uh, A 2016 Paranormal Lockdown episode investigated this demon house. And human remains that were at least a hundred years old were found in the crawl space. What? Yes. When? Yes. In 2016, they had to cut filming. You can watch this episode. They cut filming on this episode because they found remains in the crawl space. Prior two hundred to- years old or hundred years old? Yeah, hundred years old. They sent the remains to IU, and they still haven't identified them you if you're not from India. It's Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. Uh, So weird. Yeah. Prior to this, a team of ghost hunters went into the basement and whatever happened down there, they won't even talk about it. The whole group ran out, refused to go back inside. And these are like professional ghost hunters. There are recordings of demonic voices in the basement. The shadowy figures have like no human features. There have been fires that have like manifested in the basement disembodied voices like echo in the hallways there's like i said several deaths have occurred the voices say like die pray for us get out so it's like oh. i'm looking at pictures right now
0: and i know where it is yeah but i just it's what's with this little girl you can see pick like i keep saying you
1: can see a little girl in the window that's what they report mm-hmm. saying this place is terrifying. And I told my husband, I was like, I want to drive by this next time we go home. <laughs> next time we're in the neighborhood. The hood. But, dude, yeah. Huh. Interesting. One of the yeah, most places. I never places. heard about this. Because you have haunted places like, you know, like the Whaley House and, you know, the farm where it's like, it's
0: definitely Well, every haunted. town has its own little local ghost story, you know? Every town's yeah. got a place. They're like, don't but go you know, there.
1: Our place was, at least for me, it was like Crybaby Bridge and like 13 Graves, like all of those places where it's like, I will, I went to Crybaby Bridge once, which is like if you go and you turn your car off, it won't start and there'll be like baby handprints all over because it was like. From back in the day, people would just, like, throw their babies over the bridge or something. Or there was, like, a – I don't know the story behind it. Every every neighborhood, every state has that exact – they all have Cry Baby Bridge, right? You got one. Someone has Like a 13 graves where, like, it's like you count the graves. And you you go
0: 12, you come back, it's 13.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I went to Cry Baby Bridge once. I was probably 16, 15, 16. And I was trying to be, like, super cool as a boy. And I vomited. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's like, hilarious right because i wanted to they kept opening the doors and it was like four of them and it was like me three girls and like these four guys and i was like please stop please stop and like you know they didn't give they thought it was funny to like see me and then i literally like hyperventilated and vomited
0: in the car because honestly good yes. for you
1: <laughs> yes i no, it was like all over myself like we had to drive back from jay County, because like the jay county area i think and I was covered in vomit. No one... Laughing, no, no, yeah, laughing and after we're you. done, I'll tell you who the people were. And I Okay, never, perfect. Never, I do want to know. They, they <laughs> never... Like, that was pretty much the end of it, like, actually. we can't hang out with her anymore. This is about the time when I transitioned to your friend group.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I gotta get new friends.
1: New friends, because I just threw, I just threw up, up I scared
0: all my other friends. Hey! Um... When we first moved to Indiana, there was this house on Kickapoo Street, It was this big brick house, and it had like a secret tunnel in it, or like a secret room in it, and my mom wanted to buy this house so bad, it was like cheap as dirt, because it needed so much work, and my dad always tells me, he's like, we went in there, and I was like, absolutely not. No, but it was such a cool house, and I remember always walking by it and being like, "That place is definitely haunted." And I had heard it was haunted. Um, mm-hmm. but I always was like, "Man, I wish they would have bought that house so I could live in that haunted house. But hindsight, glad that
1: didn't happen. We talked about this, and we talked about like it was one of our first episodes. I talked about how I was driving back from gas city and there's this like windy road where my cousin had like a car wreck. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a cemetery on one side and then it's like this windy road. And I saw, I was driving back from your mom's house and there was, no, I wasn't. This was like way later. Why was I coming back from gas city? It doesn't matter, whatever. But I was, <laughs> there was a figure standing in the road and I thought I was going to hit him. And I was like, ah, I'm not stopping. And it just disappeared into my car. And I still feel the heaviness. Like, I still will not take that road because I feel the heaviness of that happening. And it was just the darkest, most sinister feeling I've ever felt. And I was I remember you
0: telling me about that. Yeah. Uh, And then I was driving. I was driving home from my mom's, or I was driving towards that road. And I took a video of that road. I sent it to you shortly after that. I do remember that. I was like, hey, here's your spooky place. Because you're a jerk. I know I'm not nice all the time. I'm sometimes mean,
1: but hey, guys! Thanks for sticking with us through our <laughs> a spooky you- little extra extra for you. If you're a Patreon subscriber, then we're about to like at the same time this releases our Patreon episode is going to release, and we are going to talk about Paul Mueller again. So, yeah, so come talk come. to us there. Um. But yeah, again, yeah, thanks for two years, you guys. Have made us what we are. And we will see you on Wednesday. Bye.